Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, for the director of music, according to Mahalath Leonoth, a mascal of Heman the Ezrahite. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like the one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Good morning, everyone. My name's Ross, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. Just uh, having a closer look at God's Word, particularly in this psalm. But first of all, happy Mother's Day, particularly to my mum, uh, Val May, all those people in Facebook land, uh, particularly Southside, is probably familiar with Val May. Uh, my mum's a big supporter of Southside. She'd be listening this morning. Uh, sorry I can't give you pancakes this morning, but next time I see you... Um, in New South Wales, which could be months away. Uh, I'll make sure I'll have pancakes for you. Uh, but thanks for being a great mum, and thanks to all the mums out there who are just committed to, to what their calling is from God. Um, this psalm might be speaking to you this morning in lockdown, in uh, the season of homeschooling and things like that. But I hope this morning this speaks to all of us, and I'm sure it does. If not now, uh, we can... Uh, we can associate with it from different times of our life. Uh, I'm going to pray just briefly and then dig a bit deeper. Dear Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us no matter how we're feeling, no matter what we're going through, that you know how, how we work. You know when we're frustrated and you address that. Please address us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a song that I'm playing quite a bit lately. It's one of my favourite songs, for the moment at least. Uh, it's a song by J.J. Heller called All Will Be Well in the Morning. Well, that's the, the catch line, the main line. All will be well in the morning. And it's got words like this. The weight of the world is getting too heavy. Give it to Jesus. His arms are steady. And it's kind of like in this season where there's lots of things to be anxious about or worried about or burdened by. They're good words to reflect on. The way the world is getting too heavy, give it to Jesus. His arms are steady. All will be well in the morning. Now, it's an encouraging message, but if only it was that easy. I know, if you've had a big day of homeschooling uh, kids and you're 
you know, you've just run out of energy. There's no food in the cupboard for dinner. Uh, there's, when everybody's complaining about boredom in this season, you've just been busier than ever. But it's all right. You pray it to Jesus. Give it to him. And in the morning, everything will be all rosy. You get up in the morning. The kids are already sitting at the table doing their own homeschooling. Uh, there's cupboards are full and there's food ready to go. And there's your favorite book sitting on the table inviting you just to sit down and put your feet up because all is well in the morning. If only it was that easy. If only it was that easy. It's an, it's an encouraging message, but I think if we're honest, we just go through seasons of anxiety where the load is so heavy that there's just no quick fix that we pray. And we can pray over and over, hoping that all will be well in the morning. But it's like that morning never comes. The night is the longest night. And the deepest darkness and the sun doesn't seem to rise on anxieties and worries. See, it doesn't matter who you are. I think we all come across a question at one point or another. Is my life destined to be miserable? Yeah, it's just never ending. It just goes on and on and on. Is this is what I'm made for? But even bigger than that, the question's bigger than that, is if you've got this belief in uh, God or a destiny there's this, there's this uh, dilemma of our belief system and the logic goes something like this. See if you've uh, wrestled with this same belief. Life is not meant to be this bad, so is there a problem with me or is there a problem with God? So it's the problem with me that uh, I'm not doing the right things for God or saying the right things, so he's not listening to me, he's not hearing me and he's not helping me like he's helping other people. Or is the problem with God... Have I just put too much faith in him that he's not going to uh, answer me? He's not going to give me the life that I hoped. What I love about scripture in the Bible, the Bible doesn't push away those sort of feelings. It pushes straight into them and addresses them. And that's what we see in this psalm this morning. In Psalm 88, it's a very dark psalm. I've got to be honest. Uh, there's no happy ending. But in many ways, it raises a, a lot of questions that have no answers but at the same time, it addresses how we're feeling. That's why I think wrestling with psalm, I've really fallen in love with this psalm. Because sometimes when I'm feeling down and bad and I don't have the right words to say, this psalm actually gives me words to how I'm feeling. And that's how the psalms work. They put words to what we're going through in life. And the fact that this is in the Bible is going, hey, this is a real life issue that many of us wrestle with. And let's address it. Let's not ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist. Let's wrestle with it. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to have a quick look at the psalm just to acknowledge what it's like to be living in darkness, that it is a real experience. Uh, then we're going to ask the question, is there a problem with me? Or is, the, is there a problem with God? And there's a few things that we can learn from this psalm about God in the context of Scripture. So let's dig a bit deeper into this psalm. So right at the start, you'll see there's a little bit of a note at the start of uh, all the psalms uh, where it says it's a song, it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. Uh, they're like the, the band that uh, led the music and worship in the temple times. We also notice there where it says it's a maskil, which just means it's a Hebrew song, but it's a song of Heman, the Ezraite. Heman is the guy who wrote it, which is helpful for us because we can know there's a single guy, a single man going through this experience who's, who's put his feelings into words. 
so we can uh, see this through Heman's eyes. But he starts off as a prayer. Uh, verse 1, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Now we need to remember that Psalms aren't just words on a page that we read through and just feel better, say we've ticked off, yes, we've read that Psalm. But they're actually prayers, prayers that are written down to God. So this is his prayer. And what we should notice about this is he's not just talking about God to his mates. He's not just having a whinge to somebody else about how tough his life is. He's looking God square in the eyes. He says, God, give me an ear. Listen to me. I'm praying to you. He's looking to him straight in the face. He says, I've got something to share with you about how I'm feeling. Because that's what God wants to know when we pray. He wants to know, how are we going? How are we feeling? And this is what he goes on to in verse 3. You want to know how I'm going? I'll tell you how I'm going. Verse 3, I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like a slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care what he's saying is he's not literally dead of course he's writing this but what he's saying i might as well be dead because i really don't exist i don't exist to you and this is he gives us a bit more detail about what's going on in his life because he actually um points the finger points the finger at god for what's going on in his life i mean if you've got a god like this that puts you in this situation who needs enemies right check it out from verse six you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You have overwhelmed me with your waves. Now you might notice at the end of that verse, uh, if you're looking at it in your own Bible, uh, it says this little word, selah, in, in, on the screen it just has a footnote. But in the original language, there's this little word, selah. Uh, we think it means just stop. Even though you're reading through the, the psalm, just stop there and think about it. Think about what I'm saying. And for here, when he talks about God's wrath lying heavy on me, that God's wrath has overwhelmed me with his waves. Now, we all experience, or at least seen it on uh, Bondi Rescue, um, what it's like to be in the surf and being hit and pounded by waves. That uh, it feels like you're drowning, pound after pound. I remember a few years back with my daughter Ash, yes, this is a few years back when she was about four or five, we were swimming in the beach and Ash was very, uh, very courageous, very bold, that she would cling on to me and we would go through the waves, out past the breakers, into the rolling waves. And we'd go out there and hang out there and it was nice and friendly. Except one day we were at the beach and we were doing this, we're out deep, and then these uh, a, a set of crashing waves come in. And I said to her, she was really good at holding her breath and ducking under the waves with me, that, hey, got some big waves, we're going to have to duck. And she would just cling on and we'd go deep under the water, wait till the waves and it'd pumble us a bit. We'd come up. But this time, the next wave come in, barely took a breath. And then you'd have to duck under again, get hit by the next wave. Then you'd come up again. But there was another wave. We got hit by at least three to four waves. Just hit one after another. Then we come up a breath. And you know what it's like? You're barely gasping for breath after this time. But then there was a bigger wave coming. And this was huge. It's just out of nowhere. So to Ash, you've got to hang on for this one. We ducked under again as deep as we could go. And this wave just hit us and pummeled us. And we were under, just waiting for the water to settle before we come up. Um, 
So we're under for a long time. But then when we went to come up, I'm so glad Ashley's clinging to my throat. But when we went to come up, I put my feet onto the ground and the ground wasn't there. It was like, where is the ground? I can't get to the top, which meant we're under the water for a lot longer time. And then eventually struggling around which way is up, which way is down, how to get my feet up. We finally got our head above water, but we were done. There was another wave. We were in trouble. But at that time, we're like, no, we're heading in. We've done enough. Uh, So we headed in and everything was okay. But we kind of get the feeling that that's not just when you're in the beach, but a metaphor for life, like he's saying. You have overwhelmed me with your waves. Pounded, pounded. You've got health issues and you just don't feel right. And the wave comes and pounds you. Financial issues come up. Another wave pounds you. You've got issues with your friends and you've got no support around it. Another wave pounds you and pushes you down. And it's, by that time, it's hard to get a breath in life. The weight of it just overwhelms us. And then you get your head up and you realise you're all alone in your life. Another wave that pounds you. It's like, when's it going to end? When's it going to end? This is how Heman is feeling. He goes on in verse 8. He says, You have taken from me my closest friends and have made, my, made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. See, what Heman has right is he has a big view of God. God's in control of all things, the good and the bad. So saying, God, what are you doing? God, you're bringing this upon me. And to have a big view of God is right. He's right to think that. Last week, if you were with us, uh, Ben took us through Psalm 139, and it was a great reminder of that God sees us, God knows us, God is with us all the time. So we are a teacher, taught, yeah? God is there all the time. So he's right in saying, Heman's right in saying, you're drowning me. You're taking my friends away. I can't escape. Now I'm out of breath. He's not asking, where are you, God? Because he knows God's there. But he's asking, what are you doing, God? What are you doing to me? What are you doing to me that wave after wave after wave is pounding me? It's like Heman is dead to God. Well, that's what he's going on to say. I'm dead to you that you just don't care for me. He goes on in verse 9. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. And that's what they did when they prayed back in the first century in the Middle East. They put out their hands with open palms, not angry fists, but open palms when they prayed to God to, to reach out to him. Then he goes on in verse 10. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? And here we see another Selah, uh, this stop and reflect. Think about what's going on here. Because when you're dead, you're cut off from the living, aren't you? You're cut off from everything. You can't observe what's going on in the, in the living world. You can't observe anything from God. So when he says, do you declare your wonders in the grave? Well, I'm in the grave. I'm dead. I'm cut off. I can't see it. I can't see your amazing awe. I can't see your acts of righteousness. I can't experience your love because I'm so far away from you. I'm dead in the grave that I can't experience that. It's too late. It's too late for you to reach out to me. I'm so far from you, so far in the darkness. Then he goes on in verse 11, still hitting that same theme. Is your love declared in the grave? 
your faithfulness in destruction. And that word destruction is that word Sheol, the bottomless pit, the so far from the living. Verse 12, are your wonders known in the place of darkness or righteousness deeds in the land of oblivion? I actually think this is a really good description of what it's like to be in darkness. That darkness has been cut off from God uh, and he's cut off from his presence. <clears throat> that we don't experience his love and his righteousness. And even today we use that language that I'm in a dark place because I've got bad thoughts. That I've got no comfort, no hope, that I'm far from God, that I'm cut off from him. I'm not sure if you've ever come across uh, a dead body, a corpse, whether it's a person or an animal. Usually animals are just as disturbing. But when an animal is alive, it's, it's cuddly, it's friendly, it's, you're attracted to it. But when something's dead, it's, it's a bit repulsive, particularly after some time. You know, the corpse goes hard, rigor mortis is set in, and it's repulsive. You don't want to look at it. That's what Heman is saying. Am I dead to you in the grave like a rotting corpse that I'm so far from you that you turn your face from me? that I don't experience you or your love. I'm so far from that in darkness. It's not for want of trying either, because he goes on in verse 13. But I cry to you for help. Lord, in the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? What he's saying is, I'm not dead yet, but you're treating me like I'm dead. You're treating me like I don't exist. Now we get to the point in this psalm and we're sort of hoping it's going to finish with some positive words like all will be well in the morning. God turned up, the morning come and it was happy days. We hope that's going to happen. It doesn't work out like that. This is a long darkness. It's kind of like we get to the last few verses and he's saying in conclusion, just in case I haven't made myself clear, just in case I've been too abstract and you haven't got the idea, I want to be clear to you God, here's a summary of what I'm saying. Verse 15. From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbour. Darkness is my closest friend. It's like God's, <coughs> God's not there. God's left him alone. His friends have gone. His neighbours have gone. The only company he's got is darkness. In fact, that's reinforced that he's in darkness, a deep darkness, because actually in the Hebrew language, the original language, darkness is the last word you read. So it literally says, my closest friend is darkness. Where are you, God? Where are my friends? I'm left with darkness. See, we're invited to pray to God. We're invited to tell him how we're feeling. He's going, God, if you want to know how I'm feeling, this is how I'm feeling. He invites us to cast our anxieties on him. So it's like, here, God, here it is. This is where my life is at. It's a very dark prayer. <coughs> but I can imagine there's parts of that prayer that most of us have experienced at some point in time, whether it's not now, long periods of darkness or at least seasons where you've had those waves pounding in, that there's something in there that we, we can really associate with. That's me might not be game enough to pray it to God, but that's what's going on inside. So we can feel his pain. 
that we want to trust in God. We want to commit to him. We want to believe that he's in control of all things. And we want to believe that he's got my best interest at heart. But it's just not working out that way. So we're left with the questions. What am I doing wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Am I doing something wrong or saying the wrong thing that, that he's not answering my prayer? Or is there something wrong with God that he's not answering my prayer? Which is it? Do I have false hope in a God that's going to let me down every time? I'm going to wrestle a bit deeper into those two questions. Is there a problem with me or is there a problem with God? <coughs> is there a problem with me? Well, there's two answers. The first one is, yeah, it can be. When we move away from God and make dumb decisions, uh, self-centered decisions, often we put ourselves in situations that are self-inflicted. We put ourselves in bad circumstances and then we've got no one to blame but ourselves. So therefore, we've seen lots of examples, we've probably experienced that in ourselves, we want to do our own thing and wonder why it goes bad. So we should check our motivations when we make choices, life choices, big choices. Check our motivations. Is it is this what God wants for my life or am I seeking something just for myself and my own desires? Check in with your heart and your motivation. Are we aligned with God? So sometimes it can be because of our own fault. But not in this case. Not in the case of Heman. <coughs> what we're told about him, he's facing God when he prays. He's not turning away and whinging to his mates, look how bad my, my life is. He's actually talking to God. He's got his hands out, he's praying day and night to God, hands out being humble, going, God, hear my prayers, I'm open to you. So he's actually turning to God. He has a high view of God, that God controls everything, the good and the bad. He's honouring God in that position. He's not trying to overrule God. Heman is not sitting on the sideline being critical of all the bad things in going on in his life. It's not like what we might call a part-time Christian these days, come to, comes to ask God whenever they need something. But he's faithful He's desiring and longing, <coughs> longing a relationship with God, longing to be, be near God. In fact, that's often our experience as well. So just because we have troubles in life doesn't always reflect our status before God. Is God punishing us or not? In fact, we see this. We see stories of Job in the scriptures as well. number of stories where we see believers do experience trouble. That is no reflection of their faith. But it does happen. So is there a problem with me? Well, yeah, it can be. But no, not necessarily. It's not with Heman. So is there a problem with God? Is there a problem with God? There's three uh, short points I want to make of this because there is so much to get out of this psalm. First of all, God understands us more than we realize. God is closer than we realize. And God works in ways that we don't realize. Firstly, God understands us more than we realize when we think there's a problem with him. See, the fact is, and I'm not sure whether you've wondered this or not, the fact that this psalm is in the Bible, what does that mean? The Bible is God's word. It's uh, God breathed. There's nothing in the Bible that God didn't want to be there. It's his book. But yet he's allowed this, this psalm of pain and darkness and questioning God He's allowed that to be in the scriptures. Not only that, uh, the Psalms are written as prayers, but also in the day to be sung as songs in the temple by congregations, by crowds. God's actually inviting all of us to sing this Psalm. Why would God do that? There's nothing glorifying God about that. But I think it's there because God's saying, you know what? 
I get it. I get what you're going through. I get that it's a real emotion, a real feeling. And he knows how we work. He's not pretending that this doesn't exist, but he's inviting us all to sing. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to be in dark places. Here's a song for you to sing, to engage with me in that. So he's actually inviting us in to to express ourselves to him that way. God understands us more than we realise. And the fact that God is not threatened by this is another amazing shock. See, wouldn't it be worse if the Bible didn't have parts like this, didn't have this sum? It'd be worse. Did you know, this is as far as my research can show, happy to be proven wrong, there is no other holy book of other faiths that speak about their God or their leaders like this. There's nothing critical about Buddha, nothing questioning Confucius. In the Quran, never speaks badly of Allah. But yet, the God of the Bible says, here, you've got questions. Put them in writing. Ask those questions of me. And I think that reveals a lot about God's character. That God is not an angry God, but is secure in himself, secure in his own identity, we might say, that he doesn't get angry, but he's able to respond in grace. That he's able to respond kindly. And it's a genuine grace. God didn't just slap Heman and wiped him off the face of the earth. He, he actually drew him in and engaged with him. And I think that's a big lesson that, that God doesn't choose us. He didn't choose Heman for the right words that he was saying or his right actions. But God chooses us purely out of his love and grace. That's how he chooses us. Not because he's done anything impressive. Uh, Heman's done anything impressive. But just out of God's grace and his love, God is big enough and secure in his own identity that we can say how we feel to God, knowing that he'll listen to us. I think that's a huge lesson. God understands us more than we realize. Secondly, God is closer than we realize. Even in the darkness, God is closer than we realize. Heman uses extreme language to really uh, make his point. Like, I'm in the grave, I'm with the dead, I'm in Sheol, I'm in that deep, dark place, that never-ending pit. That's where I am. (coughs) And he's not wrong in saying that. It's actually uh, good logic to say that if I'm in that place, I'm beyond the living, I'm actually beyond you, God. See, when we're dead, we're cut off from all that. When you're dead, you're cut off from seeing and feeling and acknowledging You're gone in darkness, deep darkness. But this is the surprising thing about God, the God of the Bible. He doesn't, oh, I'm not going there. Darkness is bad. It's death. It's the rotting corpse. I don't want to go there. He's not like that. It's actually, I will go there. I will push into death and darkness. See, the Father sends his own son. God sends his son into the world, into a dark world, but not only into our lives, but to experience death. So he dies on the cross, a death that he didn't deserve, but he dies the death to, to take our death, to have victory. But he not only takes the death, the dying part, but Jesus experiences what death is like. Jesus was in the grave for three days. He was cut off from the living. We're even told he's cut off from the Father in that time. He's with the dead. But yet in that, that's where his greatest victory is. Jesus didn't go there and just rotted like the rest of uh, humanity in, in darkness. But he had victory over death, victory over that darkness. 
So when uh, Jesus raised from the dead and he expresses that victory, I've been there, I've died, I've been with the dead, I've been cut off. But now I'm back, I've conquered that. So when we think back to Heman's words back in verse 10, where he says, do you show your wonders to the dead? Jesus said, yeah, I did, I was there. I was raised from the dead. I brought life to the dead. Verse 11, where he says, is your love declared in the grave? Yes. Actually, the biggest victory, the biggest honor that Jesus had was to be raised from the grave. That's where his greatest victory was, was in the darkest place in the grave. Verse 12, are your wonders known in the place of darkness, your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? Jesus, yeah, I was there. I defeated oblivion. I defeated darkness. I defeated death. And I defeated the grave. Jesus has gone before us and he's conquered the death. He's conquered being cut off from God so that now we can be with God no matter where we are, whether we're feeling good, whether we're in church, whether we're at home or locked in our room in a dark place. Jesus has been there and he's with us. Jesus has gone before us. He's had victory. And therefore we can have the assurance that he knows what we're going through and he's even rescued us from the darkest place. We no longer have to fear that literal death, that literal being cut off from God because Jesus has been there and cut it off uh, and had victory over it so we don't have to be cut off from it. So God is closer than we realise even in dark times. God pushes into that space with us. I should say that doesn't mean we're not going to have hard times. In fact, Jesus said to his followers, take up your cross and follow me. Taking up his cross, that's hard. That's giving up your life. He also said no servant is above his master. What he's saying there is if he's gone through this suffering, well, what makes you think you're going to be better off? You're going to have to suffer as well. So Jesus calls us to to this tension of you can have the assurance and safety that we're okay that he is with us, he's closer than we realise, but also it's not an easy road. And this sort of pulls it together. Now, third point, God works in ways we don't realise. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, We know this is Heman's psalm. And we see from Heman, he's talked about a lot in the Old Testament scriptures around the time of King David and King Solomon. And for King David, he thought a lot of Heman. In fact, he uh, brought him into the sons of Korah, the band, the, the, the ones who led the worship in the temple. And he put him in charge of prophecy and music. That in fact, Heman is talked about as one of, the, one of the most respected and influential people in Israel in that time. When Solomon comes along, and you might think, what is Solomon known for? He was the king and God gave him great wisdom. It actually says Solomon's wisdom was so great, it was even wiser than Heman. It's like, wow, he must have been a wise, respected guy who led Israel in worship of God. Heman writes psalms that inspire us, that engage us with God. He writes words like, uh, that might be familiar, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you. Like Amazing words. I long to be with God. That's from Heman. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's Heman. I'd rather be with God than anywhere else, is his words. And you kind of go, where did he get this wisdom? Where did he get this maturity and respect? So it looks like God's taken him on this journey that 
Haman knows what it's like to be outside the courts of God, outside his, his house, to long to be inside. How good it is to be with God. How good it is to be in the light. It's only when you're in real darkness can you really appreciate how good the light is. That seems to be Haman's experience. It's not that different from the way God works with other people as well. We see it uh, the way Jesus worked with his disciples. There was a story about Jesus crossing the lake with his disciples. They jump in a boat and they want to get to the other side of the lake. Uh, Jesus goes downstairs. He's tired. He wants to have a nap. Uh, the disciples are upstairs. They're steering the boat. Lots of them are fishermen. Uh, they're doing a good job. But then the storm comes. This storm was so wild that it would, we're told the disciples are anxious, anxious because they think they're going to die. So what do they do? I think they try and show Jesus how good a sailors they are, realize they're being overwhelmed. But then in last resort, they get Jesus and say, Jesus, we're going to die. Can you do something? He comes up, looks at the storm, tells it to be still, and it's all happy day. Sun comes out, smooth sailing across the lake. So I wonder about that story. About why didn't Jesus at the start of the day, the disciples, look at Jesus and just go, hey, Jesus, we're right to sail across the water today. You know, do a quick weather check for us. Jesus looks around and goes, oh, no. There's a storm coming, boys, but that's all right. Just tell that storm to go the other way. Smooth sailing, sunny day, good day on the water. Why didn't he fix it up right at the start? But he lets them get into a position of anxiety and afraid of dying. See, which experience draws the disciples? Which, which would be the best lesson for them in their relationship with God? A happy day. Great, God's blessed us with the sun's out good sailing or is it wow when i'm in trouble i know i can depend on god it actually taught them a big lesson through that day through going to a dark spot to coming out the other side now i think we wrestle with that we find it really hard with that <coughs> that god works in ways that we don't realize because we think when bad things happen that's terrible that god has abandoned us and i think it's a part of our culture growing up in this last century or so having the expectation that we're a privileged people. We should never suffer. We should never be in hard times. And I think this, this season with the coronavirus is a great example of that, of, of our culture in the West, is not like the rest of the world. See, with the coronavirus, it's hit. It's a pandemic. It's the worst thing that's happened in a 100 years as far as health things go. So there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of shutdowns. People are dying everywhere. So... In the last four months, first four months of this year, 250,000 people have died through coronavirus across the world. In the West, that's, that's a tragedy. And it is tragedy. A lot of people, a lot of families affected. But as you know, in the same time across the world, how many people have died of AIDS? Yeah, AIDS, that thing that was around in the 80s or 90s. Yeah, AIDS kill 250,000 people every four months today as in this last four months. For us, it's the impact of coronavirus. Oh, this is terrible. Yet people are living with AIDS every year, every month, all around them. They're confronted by this. What about starvation? How many people do you think are dying of starvation today? Well, in the West, it's not a concern. We don't think about it. But yet United Nations figures show that in the first four months of this year, 3 million people, 12 times the amount of people who have died of coronavirus are dying of starvation, just no food. 9 million people die each year from starvation. 
many people struggle with that day after day, month after month, year after year, but they're not near us. It doesn't impact us. So we think we're okay. We don't even think about it. But much of the world wrestle with this sort of thing all the time, the weight of being confronted by life and death. So for us now, I'd, I'd, I'm not saying that to go, I'm not making light of the coronavirus, not making light of darkness and anxiety, but just to recognise actually there's something going on here. In the West, we like our comfort. We idolise our comfort to the point of we ignore God through it. And I know that's what I do. Why do I search for God when everything's going fine? When, when I feel like I've got everything I need. I don't search for God. I've got to be honest. But in the dark times, it is an opportunity to search. There's something inside of us that reaches out to God. Where are you? What are you doing? Let me draw near to you. And that's why I think uh, outside the West, Christianity is booming. Many people are becoming Christians because that's life. But in the West, we want to be privileged. We want to avoid hard times. And that's bad for us because we think we either think God is not there for us or we never go searching for him because who needs heaven because we've got it now. So we don't want to go into the dark times, but yet God uses the dark times to draw us near that's when we have that that question god and i've experienced that too when we don't know what's going on we don't have answers to life i want to draw near to god i'll draw closer to him i've had the amazing experience of uh, being with a few people that have gone through terminal cancer to the point of death and and, and at the start it's a shock it's like wow let's pray to god that, that this will be a be cured and you'll go back to normal life but after the shock settles down each person has said no don't pray to be cured actually this is the most amazing experience of my life that i feel closer to god as i've ever been because in the darkness i see the light i see it clearly i see him and draw near to him to me that's amazing but it's another example of in the darkness in the hard times don't push it away but actually use it as an opportunity to draw near to god because he does work in ways that we don't realize so on the one hand be comforted he knows you he's with you but also realize he's doing something in your life even in darkest that's a big challenge for us none of us like those words but we're encouraged to push into it and draw near to him let me pray for us all from no, no matter what we're going through that that he'll use our life experience to to let us know him better let me pray Dear Father God, we thank you that you're a loving God. We thank you that you don't forget us. We thank you that when we're angry, when we're frustrated with life, you have patience with us because you know us. But Lord, I thank you that you're doing things in this world, in, this, in our lives, that are making yourself known, that, that draw us near to you, not just a superficial level, but a deep level. So Lord, that's our desire, to know you more, to, to draw near to you in an intimate way, so, Lord, please be with us no matter what our circumstances. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.